What I'd love to do right now is get us rolling with today's text. So if you have a Bible, I know we already kind of prepped you. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 21, and you want to open it up. We're going to read together, and I'm going to read this. It'll be on the screen as well, and let's just prepare our hearts for the teaching this morning before Kevin and Heidi come. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there, with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed him shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Hey everybody, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, my name is Kevin Carino. Um, Drew's actually asked me to speak uh, this morning or give a few thoughts on this morning's passage reading. Um, so welcome to church in this house. Um, the, the first thing I think about when, uh, when I think of this triumphal entry, um, is my all time favorite Disney movie. Uh, don't at me, but, uh, Aladdin, uh, you know, the scene where Genie's preparing this way for, uh, for Aladdin to be introduced to print as a prince in Agrabah, you know, the make way for Prince Ali. Um, actually insert video here. I'll wait. That music. <laughs> Jafar, you must come and see this. Hey, clear the way in the old bazaar. Hey, you let us through. It's a bright new star. Oh, come be the first on your block to meet his eye. Make way, here he comes, ring bells, bang the drum. Are you gonna love this guy? Prince Ali, fabulous he, Ali Ababwa. Genuflect, show some respect, down on one knee. Now try your best to stay calm. Brush up your Sunday salon. Then come and meet his spectacular coterie. Rest in peace, Robin Williams. Jesus' entry was hardly anything like that. It was hardly that royal. But I think what made it triumphal, even royal, was the people's response. And this is what it says. The crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. They ushered him in, recognizing who he was. They acknowledged that he came in the name of the Lord. 
the Messiah. His entrance may not have looked like what they'd anticipated. They probably anticipated someone riding a chariot with, with all these horses that would lead this revolt against the Roman Empire. It was nothing like that. But still, they spread the word throughout the city. They cried, Hosanna, believing that this prophet would be the one to save them from their current situation. Son of David, they said, they would once again have a king. We know the story takes a turn though. It goes from Hosanna to crucify him, but that's next week. When I think of this passage in light of everything that is going on now with COVID-19, I am reminded that God is in control. Jesus asked two disciples to go and get the donkey. It's not by chance there was a donkey there. He knew it would fulfill the prophecy in Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. This instance was part of a bigger picture, part of a bigger story. So what does this mean for us today? The message translation says that as he made his entrance into Jerusalem, the whole city was shaken. Unnerved, people were asking, what's going on here? Isn't that exactly what we're feeling now? Are we shaken and unnerved, looking for clarity in a situation that we don't understand? Many of you know my wife, Kathy. Um, a couple of weeks ago, um, when all this started to rapidly develop, she asked me to be the calm Carino. Um, because there's only enough room in this little house for one of us to unravel a little bit. Um, she's always about having a plan. Shout out to my Enneagram ones or whatever that means. Um, but I think one of the hardest things about this whole situation is that we aren't in control. Um, in fact, we can't do anything but just stay home. We can't say for sure when we'll be done or what normal will look like after this. Will we even know what sports is after this? There's so much uncertainty. But what does it look like for us to lay our cloaks and palm branches down, acknowledging that God is in control and allowing him to carry out his plan? We've been watching this show, we've been binging this show on Netflix, and no, it's not the Tiger King, even though it's awesome. Um, it's called Money Heist. So the idea of the show is the professor, the main character, has created this perfect heist. But as the other characters start to lose sight of the vision, it starts to slowly break down. We have to believe in rest, knowing that God sees the big picture. How are we finding peace and knowing that God is in control? Maybe that looks like not playing the one-up game with the endless newsreel. There's no prize for scaring your friends and family. How are we praising him? Not being oblivious to the virus, not acting like we are above the rules and regulations that are being imposed upon us, but rather showing people our hope in Jesus. So I have to work during these times and I do hope that I'm showing them that I have a peace that surpasses all understanding. I invite you to be a calm Karina with me. Let's continue to praise him during these times and call him Savior and King. Good morning, Praxis. Happy to be with you this morning. Seems kind of odd that we're now, I think, in week three or four of not actually physically gathering together, but it is so nice that we live in a time where we can still connect in this way. So I'm looking forward to sharing with you this morning um, about what I've learned as I walk through the, this morning's text of Matthew 21. And I'll admit my understanding um, of Palm Sunday, which we're celebrating today, 
um, was probably a little bit Sunday school version. So we look at Palm Sunday as this big triumphal entry, which it is, and we're going to talk about that in a second. But then I tend to understand it goes from that into something fell apart and now we're at Good Friday. And there's a lot to unpack in between there that I think perhaps obviously I'm sure I've been taught about it, but that I'd lost sight of or maybe lost focus on over my walk with Jesus and going through the Easter season so many times. And the thing I appreciate about this, um, and obviously this can be said about a lot of texts, but I think there's stuff we can unpack here as people who have followed Jesus for years. And I think there's a lot of good news in this for people who maybe are listening into this and don't know anything about Jesus or about Easter or what we're celebrating and you just have some time on your hands right now because you're home and uh, you're wanting to kind of just see what this is all about. So hopefully there is something in this a little bit for everyone. So as we talk about Jesus, one of the most fascinating things that I've always found about Jesus is when we look at the Old Testament. So when we're in Matthew, we're in the New Testament in the Gospels that talk about Jesus life. But in the Old Testament, before Jesus was born, there are all these prophecies that are being told about the Messiah and the King to come. And then we get to watch in the Gospels how Jesus lives this out, how these things come true. And I have kids and I know that I had hopes and dreams for them before they were even born. And maybe some of you are better than me and maybe you wrote a note to your kid about all the hopes and dreams you had for them. I didn't get that far. I'm not that great at being organized, but I had hopes and dreams for them. They're eight and 11 now and I still think of all the things that I hope for them, but I can't write about their future. I don't foresee what is coming. I don't know what the future holds for them but God knew and the Old Testament is God's words given by prophets and so the exciting thing is we now get to see this play out and so as the the chapter um alludes we look back to when Zechariah and if you're going back to the Old Testament it's Zechariah Zechariah 9 9 and um Zechariah says rejoice O daughter of Zion shout O daughter of Jerusalem Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So there's a bunch of things here that are happening that um, are lining up with this prophecy as we see Jesus coming into Jerusalem. There are um, other prophecies that Jesus would come from the east, which we know he is. He's coming from Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, where he had settled after um raising Lazarus from the dead. And he's coming in and that morning, as the text tells us, he had said to his disciples, go into town and get me a donkey and a colt. And what they, and they question what happens if they don't want to. And God just says, tell them that the Lord has sent you. And so sure enough, they come back with this colt and donkey. And it's the colt itself that Jesus actually rides into Jerusalem on. So these disciples put their coats over the colt's back and Jesus is riding into Jerusalem. Now you have to remember, the Jews are looking for a king. And in their mind, they're maybe not thinking of the same type of king that Jesus is coming to be. They're looking for someone to take over the throne, to free them from Rome, to give them back what is rightfully theirs. But Jesus is coming different. He's not coming in on the white horse and the stallion or the chariot. He's coming in on a donkey which shows, I think, his humility. I think it shows that he's coming in as a different kind of king. 
And I think the people don't see this yet. And that's why the same people that we'll talk about in a moment that are screaming Hosanna and they're so excited. They are, Hosanna means God save us. And so they see this savior coming to them, but they think they're thinking of it in earthly terms. And I think that's why it so quickly goes from Hosanna on Sunday to crucify him at the end of the week. And it's crazy to think that. It's crazy to think that these aren't two different groups of people. These are the same people. And certainly some still saw him for the savior that he was come Good Friday. But there was a lot of these religious elite that were excited for his coming and then were the ones that were trying to get him killed in the end. So as you might imagine, I think this was a tough time for them. I think it was... Um, a tough time for Jesus knowing what was coming in this week and knowing what was going to have to happen to fulfill his prophecy. But I'm thankful, I hope you're thankful, that God lived into, or that Jesus lived into that anyway. And he followed through and he committed to being a different kind of king for them. He was coming into what was like a coronation. So if you can go with me to parents who have watched Frozen, the coronation, everyone's there, everyone's excited, everyone's celebrating you. But the week would end in a crucifixion. And he gave up the crown for the cross. And I think these are things we need to remember as we walk through this story of the last week of Jesus' life. So I think for those of you who have been at this for a long time, I think we need to ask ourselves, what is it that we're expecting from God that's different than what he's wanting to do for us? So, so often we expect God to come in a certain way, just like they did. They thought he was going to come, he was going to overthrow Rome, and everything was going to be great. But that's not what he was coming for. He was coming for a very different purpose. He was coming to save the world from their sins. And he would be their king, and he would be their savior. But that's not the kind of king and savior that they were probably looking for in that moment at least some of them. So I question myself when sometimes I feel like God's far away or God's not listening to me. When do I stop having my expectations and start waiting expectantly for what it is that God wants to do, for what it is that he wants to tell me, for what direction he wants to lead me in? So it's just an upside down kind of way of thinking about things, but certainly it was something that was going to challenge these Jewish people who had been waiting so long for this king to come and to rule and to overthrow things. And he was coming to rule, but in a very, very different way than they ever expected. So then we move from that triumphal entry, which is exciting. And we go to the next day, Monday. We all know Mondays can be rough. Maybe you don't even know what day Monday is anymore. Maybe Mondays are better or worse for you during this time. Um, but certainly Jesus had gone back to Bethany at night and he was coming back into Jerusalem each morning. And so on Monday, he came and he went into the temple. And if you were going to be the new king, certainly that would be something very normal to do. And you would come in and you would kind of set up your reign in this space. But it was very different. Jesus was not happy. Jesus was angry. And when we talk about anger, we're talking about righteous anger. Righteous anger is being angry at the things that would make God angry. And in that way, you can be angry without being sinful. So he's come in and um, the temple at the time 
When I think of a temple, I sometimes think of what would be a current church building, but this was massive. So it had three part or four parts to it, sorry. And right when he first came in, he was in the courtyard of Gentiles. So you have to remember at the time, um, Jews were the chosen people of God and Gentiles were people who were not born Jewish. But this was a place for Gentiles to worship. It was a place for um, those who maybe didn't fit the right ranks and hierarchy of the Jewish church could um, still come and worship God. But there was crazy things happening. This was Passover. So it was a time when people were bringing their sacrifices and um, bringing their sacrifices to God. And what was happening is within this context, within this Gentile area, um, there were people that were selling things and making profit and um, really marginalizing those who maybe wanted to bring a sacrifice so bad, but didn't have the resources. So they were coming into this place and what was supposed to be worship and what was supposed to be community and what was supposed to be a house of prayer was turned into a place where there was illegal things happening and bad things and the hurting of people who God loved. And so Jesus was mad. He was throwing over tables, which sounds kind of crazy with what we know about Jesus to think that he was overturning tables. I imagine if you're at work, which some of us are and some of us aren't right now, but in the normal context of our lives, if I was at work and all of a sudden tables were flipping over, I'd be worried. I think something's really wrong. And that's what God's doing or Jesus is doing in this case is he's upset of what they've made of the temple that is meant for relationship with God. And they've turned it into something that is religious. And so often people think of Christians as people who are religious. And in theory, the word, there's nothing wrong with it. But the context of relationship over religion is really what Jesus is overthrowing here. So what you have to keep in mind is that um, when we talk about religion, often we're talking about a set of rules. If you looked at the priests at the time, and we'll get into his converse, Jesus' conversations with them in a moment, um, he is talking about this list of rules and this measuring up. And that's completely backwards to the message that Jesus is bringing. This is completely backwards to the purpose of what he's going to do on the cross. So he's mad, he's upset. And then there's children there. There's children who are worshiping him. And so often we get lost in the context of um, little kids are sometimes meant to be seen and not heard probably in that time. And they are celebrating Jesus. And I think one of the things we need to remember is kids look at this from a different perspective than we do. Kids look at this from the perspective of God is coming. God is going to save us. We've said all of these things are going to happen. And they're a little bit looking at things from an only positive perspective. And I think we need to do that sometimes as we walk in our faith with Jesus. So often we get tied up in what we need to do, what we need to do, what ladders we need to climb. And kids don't think about that. They accept the free gift and they move forward. And I think as Christians, we need to think about what are the tables that Jesus needs to flip over in our lives? What are the things that if we were really honest with ourselves, Jesus wants us to let go of? Jesus wants us to get rid of in our lives. And I think that's an important um, reflection for us this morning as we dig into this. 
God or Jesus is wanting to turn this around so that people get it right before he goes to the cross. So then last but not least, um, you know, have you ever had that person that you know, and they seem to have an opinion on things that in your mind, maybe because you know otherwise, is completely wrong, but you're just waiting for the right person to come along and tell them. In human context, often this ends up in screaming matches and contests to see who's smarter and who knows the most facts. But again, Jesus comes in a different way. Jesus is with um, the high priests have come out, the Pharisees have come out, and these are the religious leaders of the time. And so they decide they're going to try to get Jesus caught up in uh, what his story is. And so they ask him about his authority and where his authority comes from. And in that, Jesus could have argued with them. Jesus could have done something that would show them exactly where his authority comes from. But because Jesus is a little bit different and does things a little bit differently, he continues that here. And what he does is he asks them a question that he knows will get them stumped and have to stop for a moment so that he can tell a couple stories to let the points really hit home about what is happening and what the kingdom of God really is about. It's not about these pedestals they've put themselves on. So he asks them a question about John the Baptist. And if they're if they answer one way, it admits that Jesus must be right. And if they answer another way, there's going to be mass chaos because of all the people around them that have believed the teachings of John the Baptist. So they decide not to answer at all, which is kind of great, actually, if you think about it. Um, but anyway, so he goes on and Jesus often told parables, which are just stories to help people relate. So the first story he tells is about the parable of the two sons. So there is a farmer dad and he says to son A and son B, I want you to go out and work in the vineyard. Son A says, I don't want to do that. I'm not doing it. But later goes and does it anyway. And the other son says, absolutely, dad, I'm right on it. But he doesn't do it. And so his question then is, who did what the father asked? And obviously the answer there is, even though begrudgingly in the beginning, the first son did what the father asked. And I think what Jesus is trying to do here is show the difference between the people who say the right things and do the right things, um, or not do the right things, say the right things and act like they're going to do the right thing and how which would in this case be those religious leaders of the time and the difference in the people that they'd shut out the people that they've said aren't worthy the prostitutes the tax collectors who have heard john's news and good words and they've turned their life around and they've focused on god and so the question then is who got it right and much, I think, to the religious leaders of the time's dismay, the people who got it right were the people that they tried to push aside the whole time. And so if that's not Mike drop enough, he moves on and uh, he goes to a second story. And he talks about um, the owner of a vineyard and his tenants. And the tenants, as we've read, try to take over the land. They kill people, all of this to keep it for themselves. And so he asks... Um, the priests, what they think will happen when the owner comes back. And his response to that is that what will happen then, or their response to that, is what will happen then is the owner will put the right tenants in charge of it so that this doesn't happen again. 
again, kind of bingo here, and they're learning what God is referring to. So God is showing that in the religiosity and in the rules and in the memorizing the right verses and the things that they've done that they think are right, they've in fact kind of killed off some of that fruit. They've killed off people coming into the kingdom. And what God is wanting to show them is those people that were broken down, the people who um, they kind of cast aside would now become the building blocks for his new kingdom. So this is an exciting time for some, a scary time for others. And I think what we just need to understand is all of this, all of this that Jesus has been talking about and doing boils down to relationship over religion. Religion shows people they're not good enough, that they don't measure up, that there is some ladder to climb to get to God. And relationship shows everyone that they're welcome, that all they have to do is open their heart. All they have to do is um, accept this free gift that we have. And when we look at religion, we look at an impossibility of ever being worthy, an impossibility of ever actually being able to earn what it is that Jesus is about to do on the cross. But it's not about earning it. It's about accepting it like a child. It's about um, just trusting that what God has said he is doing, he is doing and he's doing it for me and he's doing it for you. Even if you mess up today and even if you mess up tomorrow and again and again and again, if you go back to him, if you build relationship with him, this is for you. And I think as the church, we've got it wrong sometimes. And when people feel like they're on the outside and we're on the inside, we've done it wrong. And we're like the people of those times. So I just pray for us, for the next coming season, for us as we grow as a church community, or for those of you who are listening in and don't know really where you stand on all of this. I pray that this message is something that shows us we have to do better. God wants to come with his expectations, not yours. He wants to flip tables of the things that are keeping people out of his kingdom. And he wants to do that today, even if that's a little bit crazy sounding and he's not going to show up and flip a table at your house, in theory. <laughs> but I do think he wants us to get rid of some of those things. He wants us to get rid of those things that hold us back, the things that we do that hold other people back and push people aside. So I hope that um, you've learned that there's so much more this morning between the triumphal entry and the cross. And that's just a little bit of it. But um, it was nice to be able to share with you this morning. I thank you for listening. And um, let's just pray together as we close. Father God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that this is about what you've done for us, not how we get there, not how we measure up, not how we get it all right. That you've done this knowing full well that we're going to get it wrong sometimes. But I pray, Lord, that we would just join you on your journey, um, that you would come alongside us, that you would help us to be more like children than we are like the religious people of the time, Father. Thank you that we are in this Easter season and we know what is coming because we're on the other side of this, Father. So we thank you for um, 
your death and your burial and your resurrection. We thank you for the opportunity to be in free relationship with God because of Jesus' sacrifice. In Jesus' name.